What a fascinating yet challenging time to be a leader. And in this Leading by Nature series, I interview pioneering leaders from diverse organizations, exploring future fit leadership and organizational development. I'm Giles Hutchins, executive coach, senior advisor and author of many books, the latest being Leading by Nature, which explores the inner nature and outer nature of the organization and the inner and outer nature of the leader as they journey toward regenerative futures. Welcome to the Leading by Nature podcast with myself, Giles Hutchins, and my guest today, Jane Sterlett, the Managing Director of Waleda UK. Welcome, Jane. Oh, thank you, Giles. So let's dive straight in by exploring a bit about Waleda. Um, perhaps you can start by sharing a bit about its, its reason for being, its passion and its purpose. I'd love to. So Waleda is a Swiss company. Um, although we are fairly ubiquitous now, I think we're, you'll find us in 50 odd countries globally. Uh, but we were founded 100 years ago. So that's one of the things I'm so excited about talking to you about Walida because I think we're pretty much unique. And we came out of the work of the Austrian philosopher Rudolf Steiner. And maybe we'll talk a bit more about Steiner later, um, who was one of those amazing uh, kind of Victorian polymaths. He was a he was a philosopher. He also had a huge interest in farming and education, and it was effectively how we as human beings develop in the world. Um, and Walida came out of his specific work with doctors, medical doctors, where he was looking at you know the causes of of health or disease and how we can really activate healing properties in ourselves through using nature. And he gave uh, a series of lectures. Uh, this was his modus, if you like, you know, to go out with his philosophy to talk to experts. And so, for example, farmers talking about industrializing the land, which led into biodynamic farming, which we now know as organic farming. He did the same with doctors and he inspired one particular um, Dutch doctor, female doctor, gynecologist called Dr. Ita Wegman. And the two of them worked together on his insights into human health and how nature can support the development of human health. And she founded a hospital to do their work together. And within that hospital was a pharmacy that became Walida. So we're essentially a pharmaceutical company. And because we were founded on a vision of how can nature, how can we work in harmony with nature and how can nature help us activate our internal healing properties? And that, if you like, that core intent has always been our, our North Star, our, our guiding purpose. So we're not here to make profit, although through our business practices, we wouldn't be sustainable if we didn't make a profit, but we're actually here to connect people with activating internal healing properties. Um, and as I say, we've now grown, we, um, we farm because we, we're pretty vertical. We farm 250 square kilometers globally, organically and biodynamically, which is like super organic. And again, maybe we'll talk about that later. And we make thousands of different products. Some are, um, if you like, heavily pharmaceutical, heavily regulated. And some are just lovely creams. Um, and I guess most people today will know us for an amazing uh, food, uh, skin food, which is a great moisturizer, which was 
invented or created, I should say, in 1926. And also things like our baby range, our, our, nappy, our nappy creams and our baby oils and lotions. And that tends to be the two entry points. And then the third entry point is, you know, through major kind of life events and cancer and so on. Um, that will be the third kind of entry point into experiencing Walida products. Yeah, you've got a, a, a real range of products. And um, I think it's fair to say that whilst this is a pharmaceutical company, it's it's, it's very far from um, what people might think of as big pharma for many reasons. I mean, one of the things that has long fascinated me about Walida is, and, and um, you know, we can't, we can't uh, skip over Rudolf Steiner. He's such a, uh, a powerful, uh, influential figure in many ways and his anthroposophy. Um, which is this philosophy around harmonizing and connecting humans with nature and mind, body, spirit alignment. Um, what's it being like uh, being a, a senior leader uh, in an organization which has such a, a depth of philosophy behind it? Uh, what, what are the advantages and perhaps some, what are some of the limitations of that? The advantages are really clear for me. It's the North Star I mentioned. It makes life very simple. And I should say that the other thing that makes life very simple for us is that we just have two key stakeholders and they are the not-for-profits of our founders. So the Anthroposophical Society for Steiner and uh, Clinic Allersheim uh, for Eta Wegman. That makes life ever so simple because they're not-for-profits. So when it comes to you know delivering our purpose, we've been very, maybe the word is pure, for the last 100 years um, and we came out of an initiative so I, I'm delighted I see so many new purpose-led brands emerging they're almost like NGOs if I'm honest so you know Milton Friedman said in, in, the, in the 60s and 70s that the purpose of business is to make profit that is the only reason a business cannot have a morality cannot have a conscience and now we're seeing businesses that have a conscience so it's really rewriting the rules and I'm you know I'm very proud to think that Walida was one of many well, you know businesses that were founded on on making doing good in the world and, and between you know 1921 and and, and probably 1980s we lost that um the other thing to say we talk about uh, steiner as, uh, as influential he was also an economist and just after the first world war i think it was in 1918 he started writing a paper called the threefold social order where he said what is the purpose of an organism an organization how do you balance the bottom line? I mean, he came up with effectively the triple bottom line, but he he talked about the social and political implications. He talked about the legislative implications. He talked about the economic implications and the cultural aspects of the work that we do. And for me, again, that, that those guiding principles. So you ask, you know, how is it to be a leader? Actually, very simple. We have a very supportive board and owners who are directly involved in the business. We have a very clear intent, um, a very clearly articulated purpose statement. We have forever operated the triple bottom line. Um, and then we get into, well, that's that's great, but actually it does make running the business quite tricky because we have to balance up 
every decision based on is it good for the human being is it good for the planet and is it ultimately will it is it sustainable does it make some profit that's that's incredibly difficult it's i'm going to call it 50 shades of green it's 5000 shades of green because you're always making some level of compromise uh, but what you're trying to do is say we're on this journey so we'll try and improve every year and get better and better and better and then the other thing that we have is something called collegial leadership whereby we're we understand that we're in a self-organizing principle. You know, we, we, we're all together. We don't have this one CEO um, being directive through the business. We have three CEOs and they work in collegial leadership together. So we have something called management by dialogue, which is very unwieldy and take lots of time. And we, try to operate deep listening and we try to uh, and sometimes it can get quite intellectual and it can get quite it's quite a long process but we try to take everybody with us and we try to think that diversity of views is something to be really celebrated because it makes for better decision making so on the one hand very simple business very clear principle deep deep roots on the other hand this self-organizing principle of deep listening and being collegiate is quite a different way of working, certainly from my you know, conventional business background. Yes. Well, this is interesting because um, you know, this, this really um, overlaps uh, heavily with regenerative leadership. And, and as you know, in living systems, we call it autopoasis, every, every living organism every ecosystem has this sort of self-creating self-organizing principle it's part of life and um, you also talked there about the sort of the the essence and, and the spirit of Walido this strong purpose that you have and of course the two are quite powerful forces one having this sort of emergent potential and two uh, recognizing the essence and really tapping into that essence um, so could you speak to how you work with the spirit of Walida, um, perhaps maybe through some of this dialogue and deep listening. How do you ensure that self-organizing autopoiesis uh, happens as the business goes through all of its changes? I'm going to give you the analogy of how we farm, because I think for me that's the simplest way in. So I said earlier that biodynamics is like super organic farming. And the difference, so conventional farming is we industrialize the land and organic farming is we try to work with nature by using some tools to try to control nature. What we do with biodynamics is completely different. We say in a balanced ecosystem, everything is in balance and in harmony. So for example, if you've got too many slugs, you need more birds. To get more birds, you need more trees. It's really quite simple. And what we do is put all of our effort and energy in creating the right environment. So that's things like um, making soil preparations that are effectively full of the right bacteria and fungi that will then help build the soil microbiome so that plants can get the nutrients they need from the soil. Conventional farming just slap on loads of fertilizers, loads of insecticides, and so on. It's almost like a, a sterile environment you're trying to grow plants in. Whereas for us, we like richness of diversity of life, the biodiversity. 
So if you apply that principle into the business, what we try to do is create the right environment for people to thrive. Mm. So we often talk of Walida as a place of human development, which just makes my heart sing. I mean, imagine calling a commercial company, you know, we're commercial, we're turnovers just under half a billion euros, we employ 3,000 people globally. We are a place of human development. And because we have this very rich wallpaper, you, you said you said this word, anthroposophy, Steiner um, produced many, wrote many books and gave many thousands of lectures, um, which some of which you can get online. Um, and his philosophy he called anthroposophy, anthro meaning man, osophy being understanding of. So a real deep, understanding of the development of the human being so that's our wallpaper so we think of multi-level holistic systems not reductionist system yeah so conventionally particularly in business we've gone through a whole reduction where we reduce people to human resources where we reduce everything to a kpi and it's the same with medicine with very much a reductionist approach whereas what we're trying to do is we're trying to build in all of that richness and 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 divert biodiversity, the whole diversity of life, into the system. So it's um, in, uh, yeah, holistic, inclusive approach, not a reduction approach, which is why we like many voices in the room. Well, exactly. Which is, yeah. Which is which is why we want people to feel that they are co-creators. Is a very very different approach. Yeah. And it's... it you know bringing in that servant leadership whereby you are in service to the purpose and you are in service to your colleagues as opposed to you're in charge. Yes. So this is celebrating diversity rather than trying to manage and control and provide conformity. I mean, it reminds me, I mean, our now king of, of, of uh, King Charles, um, nature displays a tendency towards variety and away from uniformity, and yet we seem to be heading in the opposite direction, he said. Um, and, and, and that's the same in business we've sort of turned our cultures into things that need to be managed and controlled through top-down levers whereas what we're saying here is actually understand the human being allow the person to thrive to open up and become more of who they truly are and from that route you start developing a social cohesive community Um, and that involves embodying certain rituals certain ways certain behaviors as you know we all have these tendencies we've been kind of inured or or brainwashed into a controlled way of being so you have to through leadership create a culture that allows people to thrive um can you speak to that a bit about how you hold space how you through this servant leadership approach listen to the organization but also allow that that dialogue so that people can can thrive Hmm. i would add a third one in which is about listening to the world as well and how you know how how do you do that how do you bring in those three elements so start with people very simple turn up for a meeting sometimes it's in person most of the time at the moment it's virtual but you turn up for a meeting hold space for a minute a to allow people to arrive because you don't know what's just happened to them in the previous hour you don't know whether they've had difficulty with the family or whether they've come out of a particularly difficult meeting or whether they've had three meetings back to back without a break, just have a minute of coming together. 
to build connection between each other. And just that, I mean, it's one minute, just that simple pause. And if somebody needs to you know, nip to the loo or grab a glass of water, that's fine. But how we like to use that minute is to kind of clear the clutter out of our brains, to remember what the point of the meeting is. And then when we've done that, we then have a check-in, can be ever so simple. How do you arrive today? Have a scale of one to 10? Or is there a word? Or, you know, or even, you know, a couple of sentences. It humanizes the place. It humanizes the meeting because there might, there might be somebody at the meeting that's actually in a really bad place. And if you don't acknowledge that, they could hijack that meeting. It also makes you realize that, you know, the head is straight into the agenda, straight into the first point and so on. But we're really complex beings. And this is, this for me is that, you know, conventional business tends to forget or maybe it doesn't forget. Maybe the it's the politics that is at play is where is is where the emotions and complexities and our ego comes in. What we do is we just say we acknowledge the fact that we are infallible human beings and we're just here to try to do the best job we possibly can. How are you today? And then I find I have found that people are more authentic. That by having that moment of peace we're much more focused, we get more done, we usually finish early. And it's it's the way of, I think, humanizing this process. Um, and you know, you're right. We have a very mechanistic approach to work in general. As I said, mentioned before, we, we switch from personnel to human resources. I mean, we're very complicated people, human beings. And yet we think they're a resource. Uh, you know, I think we've just got it completely wrong. And the same with this kind of patriarchy where the person at the top needs to have all the answers. And quite frankly, no, I don't have any of the answers. What I hope and know is that people in the organisation will have answers. So I think leadership with humility is absolutely yes. key. Yes. And I, I want to come to this in a moment, you know, so the openness that is required to allow that diversity to emerge and the role of candor in sharing vulnerably. But first, uh, a bit about just the culture. You know, the culture's obviously had to go through change because of COVID. Um, how's it dealt with COVID and, and, and how's it coming through at the moment? When COVID hit us, I realised what a responsible position I was in. Because in the UK, and I'm country manager for UK and Ireland, we have 90 people. And those 90 people have 90 families. And in those families are people who are vulnerable, young, old, um, physically challenged. And I felt immediately I had a huge amount of responsibility to, A, keep the business going, to protect jobs and to protect our business and protect livelihoods. But B, how do we protect each other? So within our business, we're, we're kind of a bit schizophrenic. We've got the, the, you know, your standard kind of commercial office dwellers, and I'm in there. Um, and then the, the people who are in teams doing actual physical work, so making the medicines or growing the plants or packing the boxes or answering the phones. So we very quickly went into action mode. And what COVID gave us was a fantastic opportunity. One was to really... Um, push all of the responsibility down into teams. So we set up teams. So for example, in um, pharma manufacturing, 
if one team got COVID, we needed a second team. So we split people up. We split teams up into really small teams um, and we, they were quite isolated. Uh, but we gave them all the responsibility they needed. Um, and and then the second thing it allowed us to do was to start experimenting. It would have taken us, I mean, COVID was a fantastic opportunity in many ways, dreadful time, but great opportunity to try out new things because through that change model of freeze, unfreeze, freeze, suddenly everything that we knew of how to run a business was just out the window. Mm. So we'd had teams in our back pocket for two years. We'd never used teams so straight away, we could move to electronic form of working. Straight away, we could start looking at different ways of doing things. And I think during COVID, I mean, our, our sales grew exponentially. We we moved into, it all it was almost like giving us a 10-year power boost for, for working differently. We've lost some things, and we're now trying to get back to what we've lost. Mm. Things like community things like the soft the softer side the intangibles of work just being with people just being out in nature and so on um and so i think covid as a as a as a business owner i think covid gave us a fantastic opportunity to really start working out what was important to us yeah so we went into emergency mode we tried completely different systems, you know, small isolated teams or people isolated at work. But what, but what the technology gave us was the opportunity for people to step forward and go, you know what, I'm missing human company. So every day, I if I would like to set up 15 minutes called coffee time. And if anybody wants to join me in my little virtual world, that'd be lovely. Bring a cup of coffee. You know, we can share virtual biscuits and we just have a chat. That was so successful. Somebody then set up something called Tea Time with Ted. Their dog was called Ted. You know, bring your animals in to this 15 minutes with a cup of tea and we could just chat. And then that, we now have animals coming into work because they're part of our team. They're part of our family. Yeah. So it's a very long answer. But I think when you are given an opportunity of this, of unfreezing, and everybody knows it's an emergency and everybody was just amazing. They worked they worked so incredibly hard to make this difficult situation work for them and for the business. People really step into their power this and come up with great ideas. Yes. We get into these times of, of, of potential shock and um, one often thinks people go into fear and retract. But actually what af often happens is that the masks drop mm -hmm. and, and more of our humanity comes in. Um, I've noticed this with quite a few organisations. It doesn't always happen, any, any challenge like this, that we have these sort of two forks in the road, if you like. One is holding on ever tighter to the old way and the other is actually adapting and evolving. And, um, you know, Thankfully, you know, your organization really has adapted and evolved. And I, I've would, I, I feel, I mean, I've known you for now uh, over a decade. I, I, we've worked out the other day. Um, uh, and I, I feel your leadership is, is, is an important part of Walida UK and how it's, how it's thrived. I'd like to now turn a bit to your own personal journey on your leadership journey. Um, you know, we talked a bit about, you know, opening space and, uh, and vulnerably sharing and so forth. Uh, I know that you've also been through your own journey. Is there anything you'd like to, to share about that as a leader and how that's affected you? I think I have come to love my feminine leadership 
uh, qualities. And I say that um, knowing that my first 15 years working in corporate, I hid them and things like warrior skills um, were, 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 were prized and they, they, they're good to have. You need to get stuff done and you need to have energy. But holding space, being creative, deep listening, kindness, caring, love are equally important. And, you you know, we, we're still in a patriarchal system in the Western world. And we don't recognize, I was going to say softer, I actually think they're, they're as powerful skills of feminine leadership. I'm not talking about men versus women, because we all have those skills in us. And now is the time for us to bring in those other skills and holding space for people, working on myself, uh, which is still a journey. I'm still a work in progress. I'm still on that path. Trying to manage my ego and trying to, someone once described it as how become that empty vessel. And now I completely understand the hollow bone. I completely understand that. Try to be aware that every strength you have brings with it a shadow. And even just being a leader, Cass, an enormous shadow. Yeah. One word, one miscommunicated word from a leader can destroy weeks of work. And it's lonely as well. That understanding of the shadows is very important. You gave a, a, a nice example when we were talking just the other day about how, you know, you went into a meeting and you had your, your, your circle like you were describing and, and, and someone felt able to actually almost, uh, the expression you used was, was, was call you out. Um, do you just want to share that a bit? Because I think that was quite interesting to show, obviously, how you've created an environment where people feel able to um, 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 share in that way and also the effect it had um, on, on yourself and, and the vulnerability of the group. Yeah, and it actually happened again yesterday where somebody just called out something that was happening in the room. And somebody picked me up, one of my lovely colleagues who I've worked with for a long time. Um, we were in a management circle. We don't have a leadership team. We have a management circle. And we were in a strategic business planning day and everything was going fine. And then after coffee, come back and she called me out and she said, "What happened? what's happened? Because something's happened and how you are behaving is about to change or has changed and this is I feel it is a directly affecting our work and she was absolutely right um something had happened uh and I had been triggered by it and I hadn't been allowed the space to process it because we were you know going straight into workshops and then space was created in that workshop straight away to okay what can we talk about this and can we talk about what had happened, how that had happened, how that had made me feel, what my relationship was to that issue? The point being that normally when you have an agenda and people are not conscious, not reading into the, um, you know, the spirit of the group, the field that the group is creating, we all create that, the overarching kind of environment. If you're not conscious of that because you're so deep in process, you miss it. Yeah. 
and then all sorts of things happen. Well, yeah. exactly. And, and, and how can we have a chance to really allow that living system to thrive amid all this complexity unless we've got the space and the quality of presence to be able to listen in that way? So having cultivated a team and an environment, an atmosphere, which, of course, all of you are contributing to, um, where people feel able to um, call out in that way and then create space for it I mean what an environment that is able to truly live actually the underlying essence of of the organization which is to truly understand the human being and to create space for a person to work through and process through something a bit messy and uncomfortable um, uh, in a circle with others around them I mean that 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 really is uh, part of the future of business that we need going forward. Um, is there anything else you just want to speak to? I'm, I'm, I'm going. I'm conscious of time. I'm going to wrap up in a minute and ask you about some tips, if I may. But just before, I just wanted to also. Uh, you mentioned um, about feminine. You're quite right. You know, this is both male and female. But specifically for female, I know you've been through um, a, a certain phase in your life um, uh, at menopause, and 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 often, you know, um, women. Um, perhaps don't feel able to talk about that. Uh, is there anything you'd like to just share about that phase and, and um, any learnings from it, I suppose? It's something that we just don't talk about, and yet we should. And I, I, I mean, thank goodness, you know, people like Tavina McCall and so on. That we, We're now starting, women of my age are now starting to have a voice. Um, it makes you wonder what, you know, why, why? When 51% of the population go through this, why do we not talk about this? So first of all, I would say it's an incredibly empowering process, but it's also the worst process you're ever going to go through seriously because everything that you rely on goes. I mean, brain fog, sitting in meetings. I'm going to make a joke now. I can't remember. Whereas three, four years ago, I'd be sitting there just dying of embarrassment thinking, but I'm supposed to know this and I can't even remember this simple word. We need to start talking about this. So... I guess the word I would use is just being authentic and true to, to true to myself. And as you get older, you get hopefully wiser and you get more confident in yourself, less fearful, maybe, maybe that's the word, to be able to talk about these things that are happening to you um, and to be more transparent. So the journey that I went on last year was one of, um, well, I now look back and it was a form of bereavement and it was definitely a form of change and it was definitely a form of everything that I thought I was I'm, is now changing. So what, what, what is, who am I? Who is this person that's emerging? And uh, you know, we were talking before this about um, I realized it was a bit of a pilgrimage because all I wanted to do was walk. And it was the meditative process of of walking over six months. I didn't walk for six months, but, you know, making that time for myself. So my eldest went to university at the weekend. You know, all of these things happen to us on our life's journey. And I think it's super important to pay attention to that and to make space and time. And of course, in a busy world, particularly if you're a leader running a business and so on, how much time do we actually make space and time for ourselves to, re to be kind to ourselves, to realize that we're on this journey? And then to name things that maybe um, might make other people feel uncomfortable. Like I work with some amazing young men and we talk about menopause. And you know what? 
they want to come to the workshops to learn more about it because they want to support their mums. They want to support their wives. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's a lot in this. It, it's, um, I mean, what, well, first off, I think, I think the global business movement is very lucky to have people like you who are really out there at the frontier of things. Why would we not be talking about this sort of stuff? You know, why would we not be making space that allows us to integrate more of ourselves in the workplace? That's the, um, brings all sorts of, um, life force into the organization and makes them far more creative and more human as a result so to finish it's been a lovely conversation um, always a pleasure talking with you you're a very wise woman Jane and it's a pleasure knowing you over the years um, a couple of tips just to finish off um, I'm going to steal one from you so um, in leading by nature you talk about systemic enablers and I realized actually we've had our own version of systemic enablers but we didn't call them that we call them catalysts and these were people that we picked out in the business and we put them through a um, a self-development process of learning how to hold space of learning how to become co-creators of the future and we uh, we had eight and they have formed their own support network as a group. They sit in circle, they will go off and spend half a day in nature. They'll work on projects in the business. They lead projects in the business. Um, so your systemic enablers is absolutely crucial because the key thing is it cannot come from a manager. Our, our catalysts are a very diverse group. Um, the one thing they have in common is they strongly resonate with our purpose. Yeah, yeah. It comes from the heart. And then the second thing for me is balancing three things. Steiner talks about head, heart and hands. So we're, we, ha we know we have a great muscle of living in our heads. This is, this is the Western paradigm. We're very much head rational, reductionist, head led. Balance that with heart you know, courage, yeah. action that comes through the heart. Talking about kindness and care and holding space and compassion. That's what I mean. Yeah. And then the third, and this is the most important thing that I've learned, is hands. Just do it. Don't talk about it. Don't intellectualize about it. Build the path by walking it. Actually start to role model every day what you're trying to articulate People see what you do, they get it, and it touches them through their heart. It comes into them through their heart as opposed to through their heads. Yeah. So I, I, I absolutely know when I think about creating the right environment, talked about biodynamic soil, you create the right environment and you lead by example, that's when you have a seismic shift. Stop talking about it. Just do it. Yeah. Actions speak louder than words. Cultivating the soil of the living organization. Thank you, Jane. What a, what a wonderful conversation. Uh, Steiner would be proud, I'm sure. Thank you. Thank you very much for Thank your you, time Giles. today. For more on Leading by Nature, you can follow me, Giles Hutchins, on LinkedIn and visit gileshutchins.com for free downloads of tools and practices for regenerative leadership and future fit business. Also, watch out for my latest book, Leading by Nature, The Process of Becoming a Regenerative Leader.